I really wish I <laughs> could be around to see the final product and see. Well, you know what? Maybe you will. I won't, but you know, I, know. I hope you know at least that I can see it from afar. When Julie Yip Williams died on March 19th, 2018, she knew that a part of her would stay with the people she loved. Julie had an unwavering belief in the afterlife, and she spent a lot of time convincing people to believe in it too. I'm Eleanor Kagan, and this is the epilogue, where we're gonna hear from the people closest to Julie about what their experiences have been like in the time since she's died. I do have conversations with Julie. It's nice. It's nice. And there's nothing ritualized or formalized. I mean, I've been sitting with Julie's book, with her words, and with her voice in my ear, literally, for the last several months. As he was finishing the book, Mark spent hours and hours listening to all those conversations that he had recorded with Julie. So it's easy to just lapse into conversation. Where do these come from, and why? They're for kids. You know that, right? I do, but why? And you know what they're called? They're called um, something spinners. Um, fidget spinners. Fidget spinners, exactly. Thank you. For people who fidget with their hands like you do. <laughs> and they were actually banned from my school, the kids' school last year. Good. <laughs> so, I don't know where we got so many. She said, let's have a, an agreed-to sign. And then I said, okay, well, what? And, you know, I, I, what's the sign going to be? I, it's, let's think of something that's timeless. Um, could it be a fidget spinner? A fidget spinner. <laughs> but, but it's a passing fad. All the better. So if a fidget spinner, you know, suddenly shows, somehow, up. shows up in my life 20 years from now, I'm going to have to think about this. You're not buying this one? You, I think it's a great one. Okay. I think it's a great sign. Okay. All right. Well. <laughs> I mean, it would be all the more miraculous because mm-hmm. where are you going to come up with one of these really, really 10 years from now? Mm-hmm. Or if you happen to find one on the street. That would be a sure sign. <laughs> then you'd say, hi, Julie. <laughs> hi, Julie. The day she passed on the 19th of March, I was sitting in the dining room with my dad next to me, and I felt this am- amoeba going out the door, like this cloud or whatever, drifting away. So from that moment on, I am I stopped feeling her, like she's gone. This is Lena, Julie's sister. I'm a believer of things beyond what we know. I don't know if you call that after life or something, but I, I do believe in energy or something that we cannot explain. Does that belief help you through your processing of grief? I think it does, definitely. And it, it takes away the fear too. And I think that's what she was trying to do at the end of her life. To pretend that she's not dead would not be helping me. I say to myself bluntly, she is dead. She's literally in the ground right now. It's kind of like a mantra, you can repeat it to yourself. And I think, strangely enough, that's healing. But I have seen signs of her from time to time. 
I was camping up in the Adirondacks in June, lying in a, in a hammock looking up at the trees, and all of a sudden this butterfly came fluttering by, and it wouldn't go away. And it, it was quite a big campsite, you know, you know, you can wander about. I would go from the waterfront to the tent, and there it is again. I walked back to the water next to the canoe, oh, there it is again. And I remember it's yellow and brown. The one butterfly, no other butterflies around. So I got back to New York, and I told her friend Sue and her friend Paul, before Sue said anything, I said, you know, I just knew it was, it, it, it's her. And then Sue said, don't you remember Julie's wedding colors were brown and yellow? <laughs> yes. I'm like, oh, there you go. <laughs> You know, you grieve, but less of crying, more of you, you go through your daily routine, say, oh, and then you think about her. That's Mao, Julie's brother. This morning, for example, I was in the office. Somehow I just Google the title of her book. It has a new cover, new graphics, new, you know, it looks really cool. My eyes got watery. And, you know, that was, I don't know, 9-ish, 9.15, 9.17 in the morning. And then various points in time, something hits you. At 1.45, I broke down. 5.50, you said, oh, what if? At 9.48 p.m., you thought about something from the past. I think about my sister every day. It's always going to be there. There's no fighting it. I, I'm not sure if it's pain or guilt or... I don't know what you describe that feeling, but it hits you at various points in time. The mornings are the hardest for me. Every morning, Julie and her cousin Nancy would talk on the phone as Nancy was driving through Los Angeles on her way to work. It all started with Mozart in the Jungle. We would call and talk to each other about Mozart in the Jungle. I just saw this episode the other night. We talked about everything. We talked about the color of my nails to how pissed she is that I dyed my hair blonde. I was blonde for a while. She's like, you have nice, healthy hair. Why would you bleach it? Judge, 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 judge. She was just judging me. And then I sent her a photo. She's like, okay, it wasn't as bad as I thought. Maybe a couple weeks after she had passed, we had the funeral I was um, driving through the canyons and I was thinking about her, especially at this one spot that I just lose all reception. It would piss her off to no end because she talks and talks and talks and talks and she doesn't know that I got dropped, right? <laughs> and so, until I call her back and she's like, where did you lose me? And and I would tell her and she'd be like, that was so long ago. Fucking forget it. Like every morning it was the same argument. And I would just laugh because she's like, how can, how can Beverly Hills have no fucking cell tower? When I die and I haunt you, like, I want you to know that this is the one thing that fucking pisses me off and I'm going to make shit happen in Beverly Hills where there's, like, cell towers for you. I drove through that one spot and I was thinking about her and the radio dial in my car just started going absolutely berserk to the point where I was like, oh, my God, she's here. <laughs> she's fucking haunting me. She always promised me that you'll know when I'm around because I'll be fucking with all your shit. One of my biggest concerns about her dying, aside from the obvious, was just the fact that she would be negated. This is Josh, Julie's husband. 
she was so confident that she wouldn't be. So a lot of the conversations were just around just philosophical discussion around whether there is or is not an afterlife. She definitely said she would send some signs. I was walking in Fort Greene Park over the summer. Josh takes a walk in Fort Greene Park just about every morning. It's his thing. And on this particular morning, he was power walking. He had his headphones on. Just, you know, banging away. I'm a, I'm a musical guy, so I'm totally lost in the music. I went through a Bruce Springsteen kick over the summer. And then I went through, I went to John, I know he hates being called John Cougar now. I went through a Mellencamp kick. I'm just thinking to myself in the back of my head, how will I ever know if any of these signs ever present or if there is a heaven or if there is an afterlife? And I literally am walking down a dirt trail in Fort Greene Park and, and I stop and there's like a tree stump just off to the side of the trail and it's and it's got a big hole in the middle. Like heaven begins here in an arrow drawn down to the hole. And it really spooked me out because I don't believe much in this stuff. And I was just like, and I was just like, holy shit. Do you believe in ghosts? Uh, this, you know, we could get off on this for hours and hours. You don't want to talk about this with me. <laughs> I've been fairly death-focused my whole life. You have? Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> death-obsessed. Um, I mean, I, can't, I came from the South, the land of open-casket funerals. And so I spent my childhood growing up in my great-aunt's house in Biloxi, applying fingertip pressure with everybody else standing around the table doing the same, a la a Ouija board. And my aunt conjuring the spirit in the table to respond to us. And of course it did. The table would rear up on one leg and and, and rear up again and slam back down. And we would ask it questions and it would count numbers for us. Boom, 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 boom. Or it would spell words by tapping out the alphabet once for A, twice for B. <laughs> you don't want to get me talking about this shit. This is, <laughs> I came away from walking tables at my aunt's house, mocking it. But uh, Julie, she believed, so who was I to say otherwise, you know? Uh, and she dies in March, and uh, must have been in May. My daughter wrote to me, and she said, um, Dad, uh, I need an overnight kit. Can you make sure and get that for me? So I go into my daughter's room, and I'm looking everywhere, and I reach up on to the top shelf in my daughter's room, and I bring down a fidget spinner. Um, listen, it's a fidget spinner. It's in my daughter's room. My daughter's 14 years old. Of course she would have a fidget spinner is my rational reaction. But I want to believe. And so I, I, I will take it as a sign. Uh, okay, Julie. Okay, you win. Why should you be skeptical? Like, what, what, there's no reason to be skeptical. You know, there's, there's so much reason to believe otherwise. And so, I don't know, I just, I just, I just believe. And maybe that's like me being crazy and just like thinking 
that it'll be great and some great adventure and I'd have a great time, you know? So I don't feel so bad, but in a way I'm, I'm very scared, you know, to see what, what comes next. I'm, I'm nervous, of course, but I'm also really, really excited to see what lies ahead. It's gonna be an adventure. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be something none of us could ever even imagine. And that's pretty exciting. And so, you know, why not? Why not? Why can't it be miraculous? So I, I believe, I believe. This show is hosted and produced by me, Eleanor Kagan. Our producers are Jess Hackle and Megan Tan. Joel Lovell is our editor. The executive producers at Pineapple Street Media are Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky. Special thanks to Henry Malofsky for the conversations he had with Julie early on in this project, and to Leela Day for her help shaping episodes towards the end. Our music was composed by Glasser, with sound design and mixing by Hannes Brown. Julie's memoir, The Unwinding of the Miracle, is published by Random House and available now on Apple Books. Get it at apple.co slash Julie Yip. Oh, and you know what I just found out? Julie's book debuted as a New York Times bestseller. Hey, Julie, you did it. Thanks to the Yip family, the Williams family, Mark Warren, Andy Ward, and Lee Marchant. And Julie, if you're listening, thank you for sharing your story. 